Welcome to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hi, I'm Kim Marcellus, Senior Editor of McKnight's Long-Term Care News. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jeremy Walston, a geriatrician and founder of the Johns Hopkins Human Aging Project. He's going to share with us his inspiration for working with seniors and outline his hopes and goals for the project, which takes a unique approach to solving many of the health challenges older Americans face. So, Dr. Walston, the group really got off the ground in earnest late last year. Tell me a little bit about who you are, what you're doing, and how you're doing it. The Human Aging Project has been kind of conceived of in the last three or four years. And I think what we noticed at Hopkins is we had great strengths in engineering and in medicine, especially geriatric medicine and basic biology. But there hadn't been a lot of um, work in putting, synthesizing those in ways that really uh, accelerated treatments and uh, um, potential, um, I want to say cures, but... um, things that that would slow down functional and cognitive decline in older adults, so both Mm -hmm. biological approaches and engineering approaches. And so we thought the best way to do that would be to bring together these sort of large, powerful groups at Hopkins and and, uh, synthesize the knowledge and push out new new ideas and new solutions. Uh, So that really came together in the last two years, so sort of just after the pandemic, we were going to launch it, you know, sort of during the pandemic, but that slowed okay. things down, but we're there now. And so um, I would say, again, just kind of guessing from what I've read from the, the introductory information, yours is a little bit more technology-based versus some of the other aging groups that are out there that I follow currently. Would you say that's that's fair? I would say that's accurate, right? We are, um, you know, a big a big piece of our success to date has been in the, uh, the collaborations with engineering and using engineering engineered approaches to solve problems. And why is that a benefit? How does that make the experience different than? I mean, I guess a lot of the others would be more focused on policy changes, uh, social sciences work, that kind of thing. You're really looking more at the medical side and, and interventions, correct? Yeah, we definitely, you know, we're geriatricians at heart, right? So we, the, the, a lot of the people who are part of this are um, doctors, physicians trained in geriatric medicine. So we are intimately, um, we have intimate knowledge of these um, conditions that arise in older adults and, and all the different conditions that can lead to both functional and cognitive decline with aging. And so I think we're in a unique position to be able to really um, um, inform both engineering and biology of the, the major issues that need to be addressed and work closely with them then to find solutions that can be quickly implemented. I think we're also um, good at implementing and thinking through how we can get these into various populations quickly. So in addition to um, devices and uh, supportive, you, you mentioned treatments, um, is there also going to be an eye toward AI and predictive capabilities and uh, aging in place, those types of things? Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, so so we have a, a, a huge new uh, NIA grant, the Artificial Intelligence and Technology Collaboratory, AITC. Uh, we're one of three sites in the country to have won one of those awards. And part of that is to help us um, um, use AI approaches to solve uh, problems of older adults. 
And so, for example, um, we we have pilot projects that are kind of bubbling through the system uh, that will use AI approaches to diagnose cataracts, for example, okay. um, very quickly with a with a you know some simple technology. Other things that we're working on are, are ways to pick up subtle changes in people's speech patterns that may predict the development of Alzheimer's or begin to clue people in that those those changes are starting to happen. So that, those are just two examples. There are many more. And I think maybe you know down the road, as we get these projects funded by the NIA, which will happen in the next month, I think then we can talk a lot more in detail about what they are, the businesses. Okay. Because we're working with both academics and small startup businesses that are working in the space to, to facilitate the development of these programs and the uses of AI. So, Jeremy, how are you identifying seniors to inform your research and test your devices? And do you have any plans to work with nursing home residents in particular? Yeah, so so we have, um, as part of some of our grant networks, we do have two populations of Older adults, we think, are, are often underserved. Those are rural, people who live in rural areas of the U.S. because they just don't have the same access to, to high-quality health care often mm-hmm. as are. And, you know, as people get into their 80s and 90s, they can't really drive anywhere. So we have a rural network uh, that we're working with in Iowa. They have access to a lot of nursing facilities and assisted living facilities there. And the other population are urban, uh, you know, sort of more urban poorer populations in urban settings. And so there are a lot of, um, they're independent living, but they're adult, adult housing in a way that has you know, sort of a, a scale of residents that we can, you know, can test different devices on or different uh, modalities. So nursing facilities per se, we certainly have ways to access them and other studies. We haven't done that yet per se. Okay. That's happening. something you're open to and in place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that, I think, as more and more of these pilot projects come in using AI approaches and engineered approaches, we definitely will be working with companies and with academics who work in the nursing facility space. So, again, just kind of going to the thought process here, um, I know we, we write about and hear about all the time the, the idea the baby boomers are a silver tsunami, um, all the cliches I can throw out there, but was that really the, what brought this to be, that, that you felt there, this is just reaching critical mass and we've got to do something to help bring quality to these extra years people seem to have now? I think, I mean, for me, it's always been about that. I mean, I've been in geriatrics now for 30 years. I remember people used to, my my classmates who are all going into cardiology and dermatology and making, you know, 10 times more than <laughs> I was making 30 years ago were... Um, they felt they felt sorry for me, right? But I was always very committed to this area. I think from my early life experiences with uh, with grandparents and great grandparents, and uh, you know, I had a, a mentor who was the first woman ever to work in the foreign service. She was eighty five, and I was eighteen when I started oh, wow. working for her. And I kind of watched her deteriorate over four years mm-hmm. as I was, you know, getting ready to go to med school. And I think that that really influenced me and, and made me recognize the need for better care of people in these later years. And I saw how vulnerable she was to, you know, decline and non-coordinated medical care. And so I think that for me is a personal level. I've, you know, I've been thinking about this for years. And I think now the, you know, the critical mass of research and uh, colleagues and being where I am at Johns Hopkins has, has put that together. So 
for me, it's it's been a longstanding recognition of a big need. And now that the population is 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 nigh, you know, the population boom in this area is nigh. I think it's even more important. And again, I think from from a geriatrician standpoint, we we often come at come at things from a different angle. We we think about what we can do to improve function or improve cognition rather than, you know, just all these various disease states. I mean, we certainly mm-hmm. know we need to treat heart failure and we need to treat arthritis or whatever, but we also really think about function and cognition and quality of life. And I think a lot of what we're doing in this program is really to improve those avenues as we move forward. So it's a it's a bit of a different approach. I don't know if that's getting at exactly what you're looking for, looking for, but that's no, that's great. And and I would say, um, you know, from personal perspective, my husband's grandmother is still alive, and she's 94, going on 95. Um, she's only recently been into a nursing home because she's fallen twice and wouldn't do the PT. But um, beyond that, she has never had any major illnesses. You know, she's one of these people who has had this very long and great life. And, and we're now only starting to see these kind of functional and uh, to a lesser extent, some of the cognitive decline. And it's it's hard. I mean, I don't know how much more life you, you expect when you're 95, but still you want every minute that you have to be a good minute if you can. Right, exactly. And I think you see in geriatrics often the, the last years of life sometimes can just be fraught with illness and, you know, decline and loss. And, and I think it, it doesn't have to be that way. I think so. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to do and in, in search out new new ways to, you know, to slow that, um, that process of decline towards the end of life and give people a really high quality, high functional, high cognition end of life. So we, we're and, asked uh, for that all the time. <laughs> Yeah. What's the secret, right? <laughs> yeah. Do you do you plan to do kind of longevity studies and, and look at interventions that maybe start at midlife? Or are you really looking at things that if you're already over 65, what can we do to help you? So I think in the biology realm, we're, we're beginning to look at that in more detail. We're, we're looking at these sort of life course studies and, and you know, their genetic uh, variations that push people in one direction or the other. You know, mm-hmm. we everybody d- does longevity studies, a lot of people, but there's the other pattern, gene pattern that, you know, people drop out of the population early and they, you know, they're by the time they're 70, they look like they're 90. Those people aren't studied enough, I think, because those are okay. the ones that, so, you know, we, we think about both ends of that spectrum and, and try to think of ways to, to capture those people earlier in life uh, so that we can prevent them from you know, falling off the proverbial cliff, right, when they're 70. Dr. Walston, thanks so much for giving us a great introduction to the project and what you hope to do. We look forward to learning more about your lines of study and how willing seniors are to follow you on your tech journey. Thanks everyone else for listening today. For McKnight's, I'm Kim Marcellus. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Long-Term Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in long-term care news, visit McKnight's.com.